You are our living God. You are our speaking God. And we pray indeed, as we've been singing, that you would speak to us. May what we've been singing be true, that we are hungry uh, for your wisdom. We're hungry to hear from you. And we pray for that work of your spirit now to change us and to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it does seem that we can't watch the television news or listen to a radio bulletin or read a newspaper at the moment without being confronted with the financial crisis that has gripped the Western world. Uh, Last week, I think it was only last week, uh, Germany did its best to shore up the Eurozone, and yet this week it has been plunged back into turmoil with Italy's credit rating being cut by Moody's and speculation that Greece will default on its debt. Now, all this has left the stock exchange in turmoil over these last months and weeks, with billions of pounds being wiped off the value of shares all over the world. At the Conservative Party conference this week, the Prime Minister gave us the advice to pay off all our credit card bills, and that went down in different quarters in different ways. Uh, Even the supermarket giant Tesco's reported its worst sales performance for 20 years I guess they only stand to make about £2 billion. Well, every little helps. Um, Seriously, their their dip in sales spells trouble for the high street, according to the financial analysts, because if Tesco sales are falling, then everyone is going to struggle. Times are hard. I didn't need to tell you that, did I? Well, look, uh, for the woman in our Bible passage today, times were hard. Here is a woman with next to nothing. A widow, with her husband dead, she had no source of income, no social security, no child tax credits, no state welfare system to fall back on. A woman in a disastrously, uh, disastrous position economically. And yet, she gave everything she, she had. You see it there in verse 44? All she had to live on. It looks like madness, utter madness. Yet Jesus commends this woman for her actions. He holds her up as an example to follow. Verse 43, he called the disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. I solemnly declare to you, says Jesus, what I'm about to say to you is of great significance and should be taken to heart, says the Lord of all. I tell you the truth, this woman knows about sacrificial giving. Well, since the beginning of September, we've been looking through Mark's Gospel to consider what it means to live a life of wholehearted commitment to Christ, what it means to give my soul, my life, my all. And now, here on Vision Setting Day, we again consider what it means to live a life sold out for Jesus Christ. And we've heard the vision set before us, a vision to influence and change this great city of Sheffield for Christ. It is the fourth largest city in England I know if we plant churches within a generation, we could see dozens of dynamic churches all over this city. If they become church planting churches, uh, then we could have, uh, uh, you know, within a couple of generations, hundreds of faithful gospel churches in this city. Churches that are God-glorifying, Christ-honoring, spirit-filled, prayer-soaked, Bible-believing, cross-centered, evangelistically affected, supernaturally loving communities of believers. Churches where the worship is sweet, where the teaching robust, the fellowship real, the outreach passionate, 
and the care for the downtrodden and marginalised practised. See, it's a vision to see Sheffield changed, transformed, whole communities influenced by gatherings of Christian people proclaiming Christ in word and deed. And what we're saying today is if we give ourselves, and yes, our money, sacrificially, then we could press on and do more and see more of this vision realised for this generation and the next. But having said all that, when it comes to giving, we learn a crucial lesson from this passage this morning, and it is this. Christian giving is good for us. Uh, Giving is not primarily about funding God's work, but feeding our souls. Uh, The picture of this woman in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, is is just a little pen portrait of someone who who lived out Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Those were the verses that we began this series with uh, back at the beginning of September. I've uh, put Mark chapter 8, verse 34 on our handout. Do you remember these verses? Jesus called the crown to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now here at the end of Mark chapter 12 is this widow. In this widow is a little cameo of wholehearted Christian discipleship. And Jesus commends her to us. And we see in her that giving is not primarily about funding God's work, but about feeding our souls. Let me read it again, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It is remarkable that Jesus commends this woman to to the disciples for her giving. Uh, All she gave were two copper coins. Two copper coins. A little translation would be two thin ones. And she gave two of the smallest coins in circulation at the time. She put two, for us, one pence coins into the offertory box. Now look, they were nothing if giving is about funding the work of God. Her offering, if I can put it this way, wouldn't have brought a toilet roll for the temple lavatories. But giving isn't primarily about helping God out. God doesn't need a Euro-style bailout because his plans were a little ambitious, because he's overstretched himself, because he's fallen on hard times. He owns everything. He doesn't need our offerings. He says exactly that in our first reading in uh, Psalm chapter 50. Did you hear it? I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your prens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. God isn't after our money. God doesn't need our giving. But he knows that we need to give. Giving is good for us. And that's why there is so much in the Bible about giving. Mark's gospel makes it very plain. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about being willing to leave everything, give everything in following Jesus. Just flip back with me to Mark chapter 1 and see how this works out in Mark's gospel. Come back a few pages to the beginning of the gospel. Mark chapter 1 and page 1002. 
Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. At once they left, their, they left everything. They, they left their jobs to follow Jesus. And the same happens in the very next verse, in verse 19. When he'd gone a little farther... He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Following Jesus affected their possessions and their careers. They left the family business, leaving their dad Zebedee with the hired hands. See, to follow Jesus is to give everything. Mark chapter 8 again. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But here's a question before we go back to Mark 12. What will stop us from following Jesus like that, wholeheartedly, unreservedly? Well, look on to Mark chapter 4 and verse 18. It's the uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus tells us um, uh, many scenarios, but he tells us about people who seem to grow in the Christian life, who seem to be very excited about following Christ and then come to a shuddering halt. What is it that stops them in their tracks? Chapter 4, verse 18. Still others, like seed among, uh, sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I had a, a most inspiring lunch with a, a church leader a couple of months ago. We talked about many things, and somehow the conversation came round to the subject of motivating Christians to be wholehearted in Christian living, to give out ourselves, soul, life, and all. He said to me this, when it comes to wholehearted Christian living, we have to tell people that now is the time. He went on, people think it's never the right time. I've got my family to raise, my career to concentrate on. I'll wait till the children leave home. Then they find they're busy looking after the grandchildren or elderly parents. Then they retire and they're too tired or or they want to enjoy their retirement. It's never the time, so we have to tell people now is the time. That's chapter 4, verse 18, isn't it? The worries of this life choke the word of God. Or the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. I can't afford to give money. I've got a mortgage to pay. It's never the right time. Because then it's a bigger mortgage, or the children's education, or the foreign holiday, or things are tight right now, and we've just retired, or or don't you know we're in a recession, or or we want to leave a legacy to our children. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. It seems we need to trust God on this one. See, my definition of what life is all about is quite wrong. I think I need the latest gadgets, new soft furnishings, a larger house, a foreign holiday for me to be happy. I think I need uh, for my children to be happy, that I give them a good education and design a clothes and whatever all their friends have got. But Jesus says, give your all to me and you'll be happy. You'll find life. And that's what we see this widow doing in Mark chapter 12. She gave everything. But again, on our way back to her, just turn with me to Mark chapter 8 and we'll see this again. We saw it a few weeks ago, but let's look at it again. And we'll see why Jesus tells us to give everything in following him. 
Again, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus called the crowd along to, uh, uh, to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. Now, do you see it there? When we give our all to Jesus, we find life. Lose your life and you find it. It's a spiritual law built into the very fabric of the universe. How kind of God to tell us to give our all. He tells us to do that because as I, I find life when I live this way. When I give away, I find myself. I've had um, a good time uh, doing this survey, this one big question survey. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, one of my friends uh, wrote on the card, what's it all about? What's the meaning of life? That question is so much more than an intellectual inquiry. Behind the question is an aching void. I look around at life and I wonder what it's all for. Can you hear the pain? Can you hear the emptiness in that question? In his kindness, Jesus won't leave us in that pain and in the dark. He says, follow me, give your all in following me and you will find life. Life in all its fullness. Life is about giving, you see. Ultimately about giving ourselves, our all to him. But it's just about giving. Now our children are already telling us what they want for Christmas. I don't know whether yours are doing that. A couple of weeks ago, Joshua said, I need to write a letter to Father Christmas to tell him what I want for Christmas. I don't know why he said that. He knows that Father Christmas doesn't exist. Sorry if I've just spoiled it for you, but uh, it's about time you knew. Anyway, we replied, no, it's far too early. Father Christmas will lose it if you send it now. Um, I I didn't want to be thinking about Christmas presents in September. On reflection, of course, it might have not been such a bad idea for me to encourage uh, Joshua to write that letter. It would have uh, given Father Christmas time to save up after all. Now look, Christmas is a great example of how we know the truth that when we give away, we benefit. When I was a lad, I was just like my children. For me, Christmas was all about getting. I went hyper when I saw all the Christmas presents under the tree. When I saw the biggest present under the tree with my name on it, I needed a sedative or restraining or both. As a lad, Christmas was all about getting, but now I'm older. And while I still like getting presents, I have much greater pleasure in giving. I love giving just the right present to the right person. Christmas is about giving. Life is about giving because God is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. When I give myself, I discover myself. And when I give myself to the Lord and to the things of him, I find what life is all about. So God tells us to give money, not because he needs it, but because it's good for our souls. Verse 36 of Mark 8. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So as we turn back to Mark 12, this widow was commended, commended to the disciples and to us for her giving. In worldly terms, she gave nothing. Two copper coins. It's nothing. Two thin ones, two pence. Yet she is commended for her giving because giving isn't primarily about funding God's mission. And when I understand that, even if I have next to nothing, I should be liberated to give whatever I can afford. If all all I can afford is a pound a week or £2.50 a week, I should give that amount. That's what this passage teaches us. 
And so it's pointed out to me this week as we looked at this as a team. I should be saying this regardless of the church's financial situation. If we had a £100,000 surplus at the end of the year and we were wondering how best to use the money, this passage would still be saying give. Because it is good for us to give. It's not about funding God's work but feeding our souls. Well, that's the first point, and by far the longest point. Christian giving is good for us. Secondly, Christian giving is about sacrifice. See, look closely at Mark chapter 12 and verse 42. The widow gave two copper coins. It is two, not one. And I'd never seen this before I studied this this week. Uh, She had two coins with her. Uh, She could have given one. Uh, she wasn't in that awkward position, that awkward situation where she wanted to give a fiver, but she only had a £10 note, so she reluctantly threw in the tenner. She had two copper coins. She could have put in one. And let's face it, if she had put, given one of the coins, that still would have been a huge gift, a huge sacrifice for her. For end of verse 44, she put in everything, all she had to live on. You don't need a degree in mathematics or to be an economist to work out that if she'd given one copper coin, she'd have still given 50% of her wealth. And had she put in one copper coin, she would still have very little left. But she put in both. Verse 44, she put in everything. And Jesus commends her actions to the disciples and to us because her giving was wholehearted, sacrificial. She gave all she had to live on. Now, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he commends another group of Christians, a group of Christians in Macedonia, for their giving, saying this, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of giving. Generous giving, sacrificial giving, genuine Christian giving, is not a matter of how much we give, It's not a matter of how many zeros there are on the cheque. What defined the size of this widow's given was not how much she gave, but how much she had left. Let's be clear, the number of zeros counts very little. And so, perhaps we need to say to Rachel Glogue, our accounts manager, Rachel being about the only person who sees who gives what in this church, Perhaps we need to say to Rachel, following the response to this vision-setting day, as you go to the bank, don't be impressed by the amount of zeros on the cheques. They don't tell you anything. Nothing at all. For the size of the gift can only be measured by what we have left. Christian giving is good for us. Christian giving is about sacrifice. Thirdly, Christian giving is motivated by Christ's sacrifice. By Christ's sacrifice. See, this widow was in the temple. You can see that from chapter 13, verse 1. And so then we know, verse 41, the place where the offerings were put were part of the temple. Now that is a crucial thing to grasp in all of this. For Jesus to commend her to us, she must have had her motivation right. And there in the temple was her motivation for giving at all. See, at the heart of the temple was the altar, that most most bloody of places where animals were sacrificed day after day after day, hundreds of them. Their blood poured out day after day. And every time that widow looked at the sacrifices that were made at the altar, she was looking at her hope. 
Every time she looked at the altar, she knew that her God had provided a substitute to be slaughtered for her sin. She would have seen the blood running down the altar, knowing that her sin mattered that much that someone had to die. And knowing that God had provided the sacrifice. See, she knew her need. Her husband was dead. She had no one to help her. She had no future in this world. She was a poor widow. And so she threw herself on the mercy of God. She gave herself to the one who provided a sacrifice for her sin. The one who'd opened the way to spend eternity with God. She was a forgiven child of God. She was so thankful. And that was the motivation for her offering. How much more the Christian. Who knows the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The suffering servant who died to make us part of his family who has given us such a future, a far more glorious future than anything that we could have in this life. The sacrificial death of Christ on a cross should be my motivation for my giving. When I understand how much Jesus has loved me, as Jesus says, you won't be trying to figure out, as Tim Keller says, you won't be trying to figure out how much you have to give away. You'll try to figure out how much you can give away. The death of Jesus is the motivation for Christian giving. And so this woman gave everything because she had a hope in God. Uh, But you can't read this without asking how is she going to make ends meet. See, this all sounds a bit pie in the sky when you die, doesn't it? So uh, I, I can guess some of you sitting there saying, well, it's all very well, this theological stuff, Paul. But how would she cope? She put in all that she had. Where was the next meal coming from? Well, very simply, the the widow was completely trusting her God. She could give everything because she knew that her God would look after her. See, do you think for a moment that the God who owns everything would not be able to meet her needs? Do you think that he didn't care for her? Do you think for a moment that the God who died for her would not meet her daily need. She didn't know what she was going to live on, but she did know God, the God who loved her. And so that's the way we've got to think. If God loves us enough to send his son to die for us while we were sinners, while we were enemies of his, how much more will he take care of our needs now that we are his friend, now that we're part of his family? He's your heavenly father. I was talking to a Christian couple, this, uh, a Christian a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he and his um, family are part of another church in, in this city. His church family are thinking through giving. And he was telling me how he's been challenged to give more. He didn't say how much. He didn't need to. But he and his wife have recently increased their giving. Unsure how that was going to work out for them, but convinced that they should give some more. And it was thrilling to see his face light up as he told me how the Lord had met their needs in the most extraordinary ways. It was inspiring to to me to see how excited he was to be living for God like that, to speak of the ways God had provided for him. He had story after story of the way he'd started to give more, more than he thought he could give, and the Lord had met him in in that need. I guess this woman knew that. She knew God. She trusted him. She knew God loved her, that he provided a sacrifice for her. 
and that he would provide for her in her daily needs. She gave her whole life to God and she left the temple courts. She'd given everything to him. Christian giving is good for us. Christian giving is about sacrifice. Christian giving is motivated by Christ's sacrifice. And lastly, Christian giving is private. Now look carefully at the contrast in these verses between this widow's giving and the others who gave that day. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the, the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts... They threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two very small coins. Do you see the difference? They threw in, she put in. And that contrast with the others is better understood when we realise that in in that part of the temple, there were 13 huge offertory boxes shaped like trumpets all around uh, the temple. And these trumpet-shaped receptacles were designed like trumpets so that when you put your money into into them, the sound of your offering would reverberate all around that section of the temple. No paper money, all, all coins. Drop the money in and it would sound, the trumpet sound would make it sound all around the temple. And that's why these people threw in large amounts of money. As they threw their money in, a great sound would have been heard and everyone would have looked over to see who just made such a large offering. So many rich people threw their money in to make a show. But you see, Jesus has just been warning his disciples about that self-promoting, showy attitude. Look back to verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and make a show. Lengthy praying. Such men will be punished most severely. Showy living is not sacrificial, it's self-serving. We can easily be giving to serve ourselves. That's why the widow is such a great example to us. She didn't throw her money into the offertory box. Verse 42, she, she put it in quietly. And no one took a blind bit of notice of her giving. No one that is except Jesus. Verse 41, he was watching. Your giving, my giving, is between you and him. Between me and him. It's very easy to think, if people knew how much I gave, they'd be very impressed. But it's not about others who are watching, it's about Jesus who's watching. It's easy to think, on the other hand, uh, no one knows how much I give. I don't be fooled. Jesus does. Between you and him. Your giving is between you and your God. The God who loves you enough to send his son to die for you. The God who wants the best for you. The God who wants you to find life and not lose it. The God who commends a poor widow who, in economically hard times, put in everything. All she had to live on. Well, let's turn to pray now.